You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Woods, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Day Chanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Olsen, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Jarvis Smith, Ike Arnold, Steve Arquette, Thomas Wilder, Jennifer and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. Note, what we just said was all a lie. I'm actually Kristen Meinzer. <laughs> Why did we do that? That was so that was so counter-therapeutic. <laughs> All right. We are not real therapists, as if you couldn't tell, but we are real film critics. <laughs> not therapists and not each other. All right. Let's just get to this week's letters, Rafer. Our first is from Leslie. Rafer, I'll let you read this one. All right. Uh, Leslie says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm happily married to a wonderful man, and I am the mother to two sons. The problem. My husband's family is very good at suppressing emotions and has great difficulty talking about how they feel, especially the men. My husband has come a long way, and we're doing our best to teach our sons about all their feelings, but there aren't a lot of positive role models in TV and movies for them. Maybe I'm hypersensitive, but it seems that most media depictions go like this. A male character reveals that something happened, and the female characters then monologue about what that must feel like. I want tears, full explorations of emotions, and for the men to not be ashamed for feeling what they feel. Where are all the straight men that can talk about their feelings? Thank you. Mm, where are all the straight men who can talk about their feelings, Rafer? That's, are you a straight man who can talk about your feelings? Not really. I mean, I mean <laughs> sort of. Well, I mean, I'm probably a lot more like that than a, than a lot of guys, I guess I would say. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm part of that kind of funny generation, I feel like, where I, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And so things were kind of, you were somewhere between the 1950s and somewhere between sort of today's sensitive kind of metrosexual guy, you know? I feel like guys today, generally speaking, are a lot more 
in touch with their feelings and sensitive and uh, th than they were when I was growing up. I mean, I, I grew up in the in the area of in, in the era of you know lo long hair and and noogies and guys with no shirts beating you up in the <laughs> playground. Do you know what I mean? Like it was. I feel like things are different now. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, but I feel like you are. I mean, well, even thanks. if you don't think you're fully that way, I feel like you and I wouldn't be friends and we wouldn't have the show if you weren't so willing to talk about all your foibles and insecurities and, you know, all the things that have gone right and wrong in your life, right? Well, that's that's certainly true. I mean, but I mean, you, Kristen, is this something that because you're you're younger than I am, and you've also been, I think, out on you were out in the dating scene for a while, and you know you got uh, you got married not that long ago. I mean, what was your experience with guys, guys that you would meet, the guys who were out there who were your age? What who were these guys, and were they in touch with their feelings or not really? <laughs> Well, I'd say some of them were, some of them weren't, but they all most certainly were way more in touch with their feelings than like my uncles, you know? Right, right. Sure. Of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not saying all the men I went out with cried or anything, but they all admitted to me, of course, they cried sometimes. Sometimes life was hard. Sometimes they uh, needed to go see a therapist and they weren't embarrassed to talk about it, you know? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. That's very, that's different too. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say most men I'm friends with would never poo-poo therapy. And um, uh -huh. and I feel like that might be something that's, you know, for this letter writer, Leslie, maybe not something common in the men in her husband's side of the family. Maybe they don't go to therapy. I'm guessing if you are supposed to be stoic and suppress emotions, you probably were brought up not to do that. Right. I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure that's true. And I understand where this listener is coming from because, you know, I've got two boys and I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, it's hard to get them to deal with their emotions. And, you know, it's hard to get them to deal with their emotions because, you don't want to feel like you're kind of digging around in their psyche and kind of wringing things out of them and forcing them to, you know, you you don't want to do that 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 Robin Williams Matt Damon thing where you're trying to force them to <laughs> force them to cry. Do you know what I mean? At the, at the end of Goodwill Hunting, a scene I love. It's one of many one of many you know love hate scenes I, that are in that that are in that movie. That's a love hate movie for me. Um, but you know what I mean. You don't want to be the guy that's you know trying to you know force them to bawl and cry. I I, I think you've got a part part of part of getting these kids to deal with their emotions, I think, is to let them have those emotions and also to empathize with how overwhelming and difficult those emotions can be and how scary they are and, and, and not, not, not play up that 70s, you know, hippy dippy thing where it's, it's, you know, everything's natural. It's okay. It's okay to cry. Well, you don't want to cry. What? You don't What's wanna, wrong you don't with wanna, that? You don't, but <laughs> the thing is, you don't want to cry. Crying is it's a horrible feeling. It's a scary feeling. And, you know, and, and I don't know, when I was a kid, maybe this is just me, you know, and because I was raised on, um, you know, Free to Be You and Me, a, a record. Yes. That I, I still hate that record. But, but, you know. But it's okay to cry. Crying gets the sad out. I, uh, <laughs> It sure does. Thanks, Rosie Greer and Kristen Weinzer. Um, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Anyway, listen, I'm, I'm belaboring the point. Maybe all I'm saying is, you know, um, it's okay to cry. It's okay to not cry. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta let, you gotta let these kids navigate this stuff the way they will. And, and anyway, I don't know, maybe that's not helpful. You can see why I'm not a real therapist, Kristen. This is why. <laughs> well, I think it's also in a, in addition to showing empathy and being approachable and, 
you know, seeing their side of the story, I think it's also just important to model it. It's okay to, yeah. you know, the, yeah. tell stories to your kids about times you've been really insecure. It's okay to be anxious in front of your kids sometimes. I'm not saying, you know, create a completely unstable household. Right. But if you model that those feelings are natural and that we all have them, I think that sometimes can help a kid to feel less scared to feel those emotions themselves. I think that's exactly right, that modeling is really, is really the key. And I, I do try to do that. Well, and I guess that's what this listener is asking for. She's asking to see some some role models on screen, Kristen. Do you, yeah. do you have a suggestion? Do you have a, a prescription for Leslie? I do. I do. And Leslie, I do want to add also that I noted here that, that you said it seems to be it's the straight men who can't talk about their feelings <laughs> in movies. That's true. Yes. And the movie that I am going to prescribe, one of the characters is not straight, but the vast majority of the characters in this are including the lead character, I am prescribing Billy Elliot from 2000. Of course. And Billy Elliot, if you have not already seen it, is wonderful. It makes me cry every time I watch it. It makes me cheer. I love this movie. And so if you don't know it, Billy Elliot tells the story of an 11-year-old working class boy in the 1980s. His deeply traditional family has very specific ideas about how men should behave and what they should do for sport. But Billy isn't like them. He doesn't want to box like they do. He doesn't want to <laughs> be macho. He doesn't want to work at the factory. He wants to dance ballet. And he doesn't want to just push down his feelings about his deceased mother. He wants to feel them. And he doesn't just want to, you know, play along with what others say. But he does kind of want to because he wants to fit in because he doesn't want to disappoint anyone, including his dad. Let me play a clip. It's all right for you. It's not you who has to do it. I know. You don't know anything. What do you know when you push out with the husband that pisses itself? You're the same as everybody else. All you want is to tell me what to do. Now, wait a minute. Look, I don't want to do your stupid fucking audition. You only want me to do it for your own benefit. Look, Billy. Because you're a failure. Don't you dare talk to me like that. You don't even have a proper dancing school. You're stuck in some crummy boxing hall. Don't pick on me because you fucked up your own life. See, Kristen, this is exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about with my kids. This is exactly the kind of scene that my two boys don't want to see what? in a movie. Like I, they, I'm telling you, I always say to them, like, what should we watch tonight? And I'll recommend a few things and they'll say, I want to see a comedy. I want to see an action movie or I want to see an action comedy. And so that's it. I can't, you know, these scenes with real emotions, you know, kids sometimes, I did the boy, it, it gets to them. And I remember it too. I remember being a kid. I remember being very overwhelmed by the emotions, even in the movies, even the emotions that you see on screen in the movies can be very, um, very af affecting, you know? Yeah. But I mean, maybe then in that case, this might be better for Leslie's husband to watch rather than her kids. And, you know, even though Billy Elliot does mostly star a kid, it is also about the adult men in his life and how they get in touch with their feelings. And there yeah. really is just so much heart in this movie. It's not just Billy going through these things. It's his family going through these things. And I mean, you'll see Billy cry, yes, but you'll also see very painful things like his dad trying to cross the picket line so he can buy Billy a train ticket to go to the ballet audition, even though he's ashamed that his son wants to dance the ballet. And it's so moving. Right. There's so many moving moments in this movie where 
contradictory feelings of like shame of love where they you know butt up against each other and where yes. you feel things but you don't want people to know you feel things and so i feel that this movie is really good at showing that and you're right ray for maybe a little kid will feel uncomfortable watching this but i do think that it will touch the heart of your husband leslie I do think it will. Oh no, I think it's totally true, and I did not mean that as a as a as a criticism of of your choice at all. I meant that as a criticism of my kids, or at least a, or at least a <laughs> criticism of. But maybe it's more my inability to sort of get my kids to watch these kinds of movies because I think I I love these I love those kinds of movies. I love I love a great drama. I, you know, I I just think it's to me that's as much of a as much of an adventure and as much of as, as, as enjoyable as an action film. It, it's, it takes you into a world just like any kind of fantasy or action movie or anything like that does. Um, I got to figure out some way of getting my kids to watch these things. Hold on. So are you saying you liked Billy Elliot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't, I don't mean to No, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the movie at all. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a way to get my kids to watch these kinds of movies. And I, I somehow I can't, they just, they've, they've, they've got their heels in. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being a good therapist or a good movie critic on that on that front. No, no, no. It's tough. It, it is tough. So, Rafer, instead of Billy Elliot, what are you going to prescribe? Okay, I'm going to prescribe a movie that um, initially I gave sort of a so-so review to back when it came out in 2011, but it, it kind of grows a little better in my mind year by year, and I remember the movie very fondly, and sometimes I wish I could go back and maybe uh, bump that movie up by a, a half a star or so. Uh, it's a movie called 50-50. Do you remember this movie, Kristen? I loved Fifty Fifty, yeah. and I was just a sloppy mess, sobbing through the whole thing. And I know you thought I was a big softy because I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I was bawling and bawling at the Fifty Fifty, and you're like, ah, isn't it just another bromance? I, I, I really just don't think you loved it the way I did back at back in the day. No, I didn't. Uh, well, and, not, and let's be clear: part of the reason that you loved it is because it has Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> Am I right? Yes or no? I I do like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> I do. He's come up on the show a lot, hasn't he? <laughs> he sure has. Uh, well, all right. So let me tell you briefly the story of, of 5050. Uh, it's about these two guys who work at a public radio station in Seattle. Uh, Adam, he's the one played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's a very nice guy, very earnest, kind of a serious dude living with his girlfriend. Kyle is played by Seth Rogen, who is basically Seth Rogen. He likes to party and chase women and get high and have fun. And they're, you know, both in their 20s and they're living that great 20-something life where, you know, their biggest problem is getting ahead at, at work and doing, you know, doing a good job. And Kyle doesn't really like Adam's girlfriend that much. And oh, can't you guys just be cool? Blah, blah, blah. And then one day, Adam is diagnosed with cancer spinal cancer. It's malignant. He has to undergo treatment. But statistically, his chances of living are 50-50. Here's a clip. I'm going to throw up. Don't throw up. You're going to be I fine. I actually think I'm going to throw no, up. No, you're not going to throw up. I'm Just throw up. No, open your eyes. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. All right? What kind of cancer it's is it? What's the name of the cancer? some rare what? kind of cancer. What, 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 what's it called? Schwannoma. I knew this. Schwannoma? Schwannoma. It's schwannoma? What's schwannoma? That means tumor, basically. Your chances. So. What are your odds? I don't know. I mean, I looked it up and it said 50-50, but that's like the internet, so... It's not that bad. That's better than I thought. You can be fine, man. You're young. Young people beat cancer all the time. Every celebrity beats cancer. Lance Armstrong, he keeps getting it. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. Got from Dexter. He's right. okay. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. You're gonna be fine. 50-50. If you were a casino game, you'd have the best odds. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. 
it's a good time. You don't want coffee? I'm awake now. Now, Rafer, 50-50 is dealing with something kind of heavy here. Cancer, the chance of dying, right. uh, losing your best friend. Do you, do you think this is good for kids? I would not say it's good for kids unless your kids are kind of on the mature side. Like, this is the kind of, it is an R-rated movie, I will say, but but I think what it's mostly rated R for is some language, there's some drug use. As I said, Seth Rogen is in this movie, so there's a pot that is going to be smoked. And I think there might be a bare breast or two. So it is it is adult, but it is not raunchy humor, and it is certainly not depressing. It really is kind of a it's a comedy drama, and I would say, in in a way, it's a little bit more on the comedy side. Or, well, maybe maybe it's fifty fifty. Maybe it's right down the middle. But it's not. <laughs> it's not like a whoa, grown up. You know, a lot of. It's not super raunchy, crude. It's not like that. I think if you had, maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, like my kids are are ten and twelve at this moment. The ten year old, I don't know about. The twelve year old, I think he'd be totally fine. Anyway, I'll say. A couple things about this movie. It's based on a true story. It's based on the writer's own life, a guy named Will Reiser, who's actually related to Paul Reiser, the comedian. I think he's like a cousin or a oh. nephew or something. But um, but when he was a young guy, he got cancer. He was um, and he was working on Sasha Baron Cohen's show, the Ali G show, at the same time as Seth Rogen was working on that show. And Rogen said, "Hey, you should write a screenplay about that." And so he did. And I think what's a couple things that are interesting about this movie. One is. I've just, this might sound like a small thing, but I've just never seen a movie about like young hipster dude who gets cancer. It's cancer in the movies is, you know, usually reserved for fa famous people and beautiful women and, and children. You know, those are the people who get cancer. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just kind of average 20 something dude. And there's something pretty interesting about going from, you know, a, a life of drinking craft beer to suddenly having this, you know, your mort your mortality is thrust in your face. And the reason I'm recommending this movie is because it's it's about two guys, just just regular old, plain old guys who suddenly have to kind of deal with each other in this really honest, emotional way about their feelings and their fears and their feelings of inability to deal with it all. And um, I, I think it it the one thing that I, I, I did respect about the movie at the time was that I thought it got all that stuff pretty right. And it's, and they and they dance around things and they they deflect using humor the way that guys do. And that's cool too, but there's going to come a moment in this movie where they really have to kind of confront each other and 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 lay it all on the table and kind of lay it bare. So this might not be the the quite the waterworks that uh Leslie our listener was looking for, but I do think 50/50 really shows you Two average guys trying to really deal with something difficult and deal with each other in a in a in a, a really honest way, which I think is good. Mm. Well, I love it. So once again, those recommendations, Leslie, are from Rafer, fifty fifty, and from me, Billy Elliot. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, a huge thanks to everyone who continues to rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For instance, Cora Heads West gave us five stars and wrote. I've never considered myself much of a movie person, but thought I'd listen after hearing Kristen on another podcast. And now I'm hooked. It's so much fun to listen to their co-hosting and just as fun to check out all the great movies they've been recommending. 
Oh, that is so great to hear, Cora Heads West. Thank you so much. We're always impressed when uh, people who are not huge movie fans listen to the show anyway, and now you're checking out the movies. So thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for me too, Cora Heads West. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Stay with us. When we're back, we have someone who isn't ready to forgive. There is a corner of Los Angeles where dreams are brought to life. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. Made in Mars! Over the world! Where legends are made. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories. Tales of heroism. Villainy, betrayal, passion, tragedy, and triumph that, when sewn together, form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from Julia. Kristen, you want to take this one? Sure. Julia says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, my husband and I have been very responsible during COVID. We always wear masks when we're in public. We only fetch groceries once or twice a month to cut down on time indoors with others. When we eat or drink out, it's literally outside at a sidewalk bar or restaurant. We have not had anyone in our home for months or been inside anyone else's home. And we haven't traveled to see any out-of-state family or friends since February. I take these safety precautions seriously, and I thought my husband did too. But a couple nights ago, I realized I might be wrong. My husband met up with some old coworkers at a restaurant, and rather than eat at one of the outdoor tables, they ate inside. He explained that his friends were already comfortably set up inside when he arrived, and since he was late, he didn't want to disrupt things further. Eventually, after dinner, they had a final drink at a sidewalk table, but that's only after two hours of having their masks off indoors. Rafer and Kristen, I am incensed. One of my best friend's parents died of COVID, some of our friends have been very ill, and I don't personally have the strongest constitution. At some point, I would like to forgive my husband for endangering himself, myself, and others, but until then, I just want a few days to wallow in my rage. Any tips? <laughs> oh, I'm all about rage. <laughs> I love I love me some rage. <laughs> well, uh, seriously, though, I do encourage forgiveness on this point. Um, you know, you and I have said on this podcast before, Kristen, everyone's COVID threshold is just a is a moving target. It is contradictory. It's not going to line up with anybody else's. It's self-contradictory. You know, you might be the kind of person that 
would go over to a friend's house and, you know, pay a visit, but you know, wouldn't dream of sitting indoors at a restaurant or vice versa. You know, you might think, you know, this kind of travel to this particular region is okay, but that kind of travel is not okay. Train versus plane, subway versus bus. I mean, it, it it's not going to make sense even within your own sort of rule system. And so I, I do want to say, to our listener, I, I, I do encourage some. Uh, I do encourage you to soften your heart. I would say that. <laughs> I disagree. I think, <laughs> Kristen, Julia, go ahead. Let yourself be mad for a couple days. It's totally fine. I understand why this is a loaded topic for you. When one of your best friend's parents dies of this disease, and for your husband to so recklessly expose himself to it, I get it. There's a lot of reason to be upset here. But I mean, I also, you know like what you're saying, that you don't want to be mad forever because, you know, you hopefully don't need to be mad forever. Hopefully you can get tested if you're really worried about it, get that negative result, feel better. That's good advice. Yeah. And limit your rage to just a couple days, which is what you want to do anyway. You don't want to be mad forever. You've said it yourself, but let yourself be a little bit mad for a couple days. Sure. I Listen, I totally agree. And like I said, I love movies about rage and anger. I, I do. <laughs> so do I. Well, so I've got one for you. Uh, it's a movie from 1995 um, that just tanked when it came out, although it has an amazing pedigree, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And Kristen, I don't know if you know this movie, The Quick and the Dead from Sam Raimi. Do you know the movie? Well, I do know The Quick and the Dead is a cowboy movie, and it was in the theaters for about 15 minutes and nobody cared about it. But in... Yes. In hindsight, I believe it's quite respected, right? Isn't The Quick and yes. the Dead now considered a really good film? Yes, I think it is. Um, I, I, think, I think people have finally kind of come around to it. And you're right, it's a Western. And like I said, it had this amazing pedigree. Uh, first of all, Sam Raimi was the director, uh, the guy who did The Evil Dead, and then would go on to do the first Spider-Man trilogy. It's got Sharon Stone, uh, just a few years after Basic Instinct. It's got Gene Hackman, who had just won an Oscar for Unforgiven. A uh, new kid named Leonardo. DiCaprio. Oh, never heard of him. He's that guy who was in the Basketball Diaries because he hadn't done <laughs> Titanic yet. Um, and uh, and it's also got a guy nobody had ever heard of at the time named Russell Crowe. And so oh, yes. this is 1995, you know, and so it's a Western, a, a, a genre that was kind of dead at the time. And it's got a classic storyline. Gunslinger comes to this little town called Redemption, looking for revenge. And the town is ruled by a criminal named Herod, a rather biblical name, uh, played by Gene Hackman. Every year, Herod holds a dueling tournament that attracts gunslingers from all over. And of course, he usually wins. So this is the classic storyline, except this time the gunslinger is called The Lady, and she's played by Sharon Stone. Here's a clip. In a town called Redemption, a winner-take-all sudden-death contest is about to take place. I now declare the quick draw competition open. But now there's a new face in town. You're pretty. You're not. The kind of woman who knows that the fastest way to a man's heart is a Colt 45. Sign me up. Sure must want to die young, miss. Get my name to the list. Gentlemen, please remember, you must not draw until that clock makes the first chime of the hour. Some people deserve to die. Ah, Rafer, I love a lady with a gun. 
any movie with a lady with a gun, it's always, you, n- you never know what's going to happen, but you kind of do, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, I, you know, I remember seeing this movie and just being tickled to death by how, fu- how fun it was and how clever and cartoony and bloody. Uh, it was, I just thought it was so great. And critics just really didn't warm to it. I think they thought it was just kind of, I don't think they. I don't think they got it. You know, there, there, there's a there's a scene in this movie, if I'm remembering correctly, a scene where there's two gunslingers. They face off. They both draw, and you can see their shadows on the ground. And after they draw, one of their shadows has a little hole in the head with some sunlight coming through. And I think <laughs> I think critics just didn't think that was funny. But I just cackled out loud. I just thought it was so good and stupid and fun. And you know. Um, I guess I would say it's a little bit ahead of its time. We didn't really have these kind of comic booky, violent movies at that point. There was there was no Kick-Ass, there was no Zombieland, there was no Shaun of the Dead, there was no Kill Bill yet. Um, you know, I wonder if this movie came out if today, if it might be a bigger hit. But I think it's fun. It doesn't take itself very seriously, but it's good. It's well directed. It's got that kind of spaghetti western kooky, bloody, cartoony, almost horror-ish feel in some ways. Um, I, I just I just think it's great. The Quick and the Dead, a uh, lot of fun. Mm. Well, you've enticed me. I'm definitely going to check that out, Rafer. Good, good. You totally should. Uh, and Kristen, from you, what's your choice? All right. I am going to choose the 2014 hit movie based on the hit book called Gone Girl. Yes, Gone Girl. I remember Gone Girl. Yes. Gone Girl stars Rosamund Pike. She plays Amy Dunn. And Ben Affleck plays her husband, Nick. On their fifth wedding anniversary, Amy mysteriously disappears, but it quickly becomes apparent to Nick that she's skipped town and set him up for her murder because of both his philandering and her misery living in his small town focused exclusively on his wants and needs. Here's a clip. To fake a convincing murder, you have to have discipline. You befriend a local idiot. Harvest the details of her humdrum life and cram her with stories about your husband's violent temper. Secretly create some money troubles, credit cards, perhaps online gambling. With the help of the unwitting, bump up your life insurance. Purchase getaway car, Craigslist, generic, cheap, pay cash. You need to package yourself so that people will truly mourn your loss. Well, I sure love Rosamund Pike. I'll say that. Ugh. Holy God. She is wonderful. Man, ever since I saw her in An Education, another movie that I loved. That was the first place I ever saw uh, Carrie Mulligan, too. Likewise. But um, Rosamund Pike, God, just dazzling. Yes. I mean, Rosamund Pike, she's she's so stunningly beautiful. And she's so stunningly smart. Every role she plays, you're just like, yeah. that is the smartest person I've ever met and the prettiest all in one. Yeah. She, she's yeah. so good. She's so clever. She's so funny. And in this movie, she is so complicated. I mean, some people will say that, 
this is the story of an unredeemable psychopath who takes things way too far. Right. I only think that's partly true. I see Amy as smart, as strong, as tired of putting up with a man who's a misogynist and a narcissist and a sleep around and he's boring to boot. And I totally understand why she would want to get back at him. Um, <laughs> and in a messed up way, it's kind of fun to cheer for her. It's fun to see how far she'll go. And when it's all done, Julia, I hope that what you think is, well, that was cathartic. I like that gone girl. I like that crazy, 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 violent, nutty gone girl. That's what I hope you think at the end. And then you get your negative COVID test back and everything's great. Everything will be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> just don't turn into gone girl. That's right. Uh, yes, don't don't turn into gone girl. Just cheer for gone girl while she goes way too far or just far enough. All right. So our recommendations once again from Kristen, gone girl, and from me, the quick and the dead. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com. Fill out the contact form there. You do not have to use your real name. And if you haven't already, join the conversation at our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash raferandkristen. When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We are back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter. This one is from Blair. All right, I'll read this one. Blair says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently devoured the most recent season of The Crown, profiling the Princess Di years, and I am now fired up about all things royal. I'd love to be introduced to another binge-worthy dramatic series or a movie with great acting and writing like The Crown. I can't get enough. Please tell me what to watch next. Oh! Yes, this is delicious, Blair. I'm so excited we got a letter about the crown. I, I, I jumped up and down when I saw this letter, Rafer. I was like, yes, yes. Now, now me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be virtually silent during this entire segment. This is, this is all you, Kristen. This is all you. You are the resident in-house expert on all things royal. I know zip. Yes. Well, um, some listeners know this. Some of them may not know it, but I used to host a podcast called When Meghan Met Harry, a royal wedding cast. Yep. And on that podcast, my co-host uh, James Barr and I, we launched the show the week that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced their engagement. And the show culminated with us attending the royal 
wedding itself. I am a huge Meghan Markle fan. I love Lady Di. I um, was covering the wedding of Prince William and Kate when they got married. I've uh, been a commentator on lots of TV shows and radio shows when it comes to things royal. And I just, I get really excited when people want to talk about the royal stuff. I love it. They're the best soap opera of all time. Listen, I totally agree. A thousand year long soap opera of beheadings, of divorces, of cheating, of all sorts of terrible stuff. I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, Kristen, since Blair has so clearly come to the right person for this, uh, what do you recommend? Well, first, I just want to say a few words about this season of The Crown. This is season four of The Crown. And I want to say, Blair, I agree with you. This current season is so easy to just binge, just devour the whole thing. It is binge-worthy. It is delicious. I want to say that the person they cast to play Princess Di, her name is Emma Corrin, she is just fantastic. She is so good at being shy die. She's so good at being a little bit awkward, but very pretty and very regal. Uh, she's got all the qualities that make her both vulnerable and glamorous. And I just think they cast her so well in this. You can see, wow, I'm a 19-year-old who is like essentially a deer in headlights who is being dragged through the ringer by this crazy family. And, you know, she's really victimized on this show. And the actress, Emma Corrin, is so good at just showing what that's like, what it's like to get this thing that feels like the jackpot. You get to marry a prince and then for it just to be pure hell. And oh, I just think she's great. Anywho, so enough about the crown. Let's talk about my prescription. It is the source material for Emma Corrin. This is what she watched when she was studying up to play Princess Di in The Crown. Ah. It's called Diana in her own words, it's on Netflix. It's from 2017. Do you know this documentary, Rafer? I do not. Oh, well, it is terrific. Diana, in her own words, is a television documentary that was broadcast on Channel 4 in the UK in 2017. Princess Diana narrates the whole film, which includes vintage footage and photos. The audio is from a 1991 interview that she gave uh, to her voice coach, revealing how miserable she was being married to Prince Charles. The audio recording was then given to her biographer, Andrew Morton, who wrote the international bestseller, Diana, in her own words in 1992. Right. That I remember. Yes. Yes. And if you've read that book, nothing here will be a revelation. She's very open about her eating disorder, about Charles's infidelity, about the fact that Charles is terrible, um, about the fact that Charles was originally dating her older sister, not even interested in her. Um But I think what will likely hit a nerve with anybody who watches this is the tone of her voice and the pain that she lived with every day. Because it's one thing to read the words that Andrew Morton put down on paper, and it's another to hear how miserable and how much suffering and pain that Diana was dealing with every day. Here's a clip. The press were being unbearable following my every move. Is there any possibility of any announcement of your marriage in the near future? Can you tell me? He sat me down. He said, will you marry me? I thought the whole thing was hysterical, getting married. It was so grown up. And here was Diana, a kindergarten teacher. I mean, the whole thing was ridiculous. I once heard him on the telephone saying, whatever happens, I'll always love you. And I told him I'd listen to the door. We had a filthy row. 
And I realized I'd taken on an enormous role, but I had no idea what I was going into. But no idea. That's so, um, that's so eerie to have Diana's voice uh, speaking so intimately all these years after her death. Yeah, it really is. And I got to say, some of the vintage footage, the newsreel footage, all of that also that accompanies it as she's telling her story is really beautiful, too. Things that I had not seen before. It, it really is terrific. And as I already mentioned, it was Emma Corrin's primary source for researching the role of Diana Spencer. And I, I think you're just going to love it. You you are going to get all of those questions answered that you have watching The Crown. Because let's remember, The Crown is a dramatization. The Crown isn't a factual show 100%. It's, you know, it's supposed to be somewhat factual, but it's also supposed to be entertaining. Well, that sounds that sounds great. And I, 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 love, a, I love any documentary that has... Um, you know, um, sort of unearthed, unearthed uh, audio or, or video, any kind of footage like that. I think those things are often just, uh, just stunning and, and, re and really fun. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really great. But what about you, Rafer? Well, I'm going to recommend a terrific movie that I don't know our listener Blair may have already dug up, but uh, this movie is exactly what you want. It's The Queen from 2006. Yes. And this is essentially where The Crown came from. Uh, the writer of this film, Peter Morgan, basically spun The Crown off of this screenplay. It's all about the death of Princess Di uh, about, and about how Buckingham Palace handled or perhaps mishandled the news and, and reacted so badly at first. This, I think, is the movie that pretty much established Helen Mirren as the queen in our minds, which she kind of still is. Um, <laughs> And, you know, she doesn't really want to make a big show out of Diana's death. She's got all this resentment against Princess Di. Uh, Michael Sheen plays Tony Blair, uh, who, as we all know, loves the royal family. And he's worried that Buckingham Palace's indifference to Diana's death is going to damage the royal family's image and the Queen's image in particular kind of permanently. Here's a clip. You obviously know my job better than I do. Yes, well, you are my 10th prime minister, Mr. Blair. My first, of course, was Winston Churchill. He sat in your chair in frock coat and top hat. And he, he was kind enough to give a shy young girl like me quite an education. I can imagine. With time, one has hopefully added experience to that education and a little wisdom better enabling us to execute our constitutional responsibility. To advise, guide and warn the government of the day. Advice which I look forward to receiving. Yes, well, we'll save that for our weekly meetings. If there's nothing else, I believe we have some business to attend to. Of course. Rayford the Queen is such a fantastic movie, and Helen Mirren really loses herself in the character. I, I felt like the first time I saw it, I'm like, am I really watching the Queen or am I watching Helen Mirren here? She is so fantastic I know. as the queen it's amazing she's so good well and the same thing and the same for michael sheen it was just i after that whenever i th whenever people say oh and tony blair the first thing i think of is michael sheen's face i mean it's just you know it's just great um <laughs> and and i will add that i'm sure that there are a lot of fans of the crown that 
don't know that the queen is what started it all. I mean, I think some people watch The Crown and just enjoy it as a soap and don't even realize it's connected to a film history at all. So yeah, it could be. Um, I'm glad you're prescribing this, Rafer. Yeah, it was from a long time ago, and it's possible that that it that you know. I mean, I I feel like it kind of. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say single handedly, but it certainly I think helped kind of kick off this kind of current craze we have for all things um, royal and uh, royal adjacent, like uh, Downton Abbey. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I do, do want to say, um, I think at the time, what I liked about it was it was it seemed like it seemed to me like like the West Wing in Buckingham Palace. You know, it's all the little machinations going back and forth. The dialogue is just brilliant. Um, and it's directed by Stephen Frears, who is just one of my absolute favorite directors. Uh, he's the guy that did My Beautiful Laundrette and High Fidelity and Dangerous Liaisons and Prick Up Your Ears. Um, I just, it, the, Stephen Frears, you know, the thing about directors is they always have their own unique way of looking at the world and sort of that's what you, that's what you go to them for is to see how they're looking at the world. But the thing about Stephen Frears, I always feel like he sees the world totally correctly. I just think he's right. <laughs> he just has this way of like, whatever world he's addressing, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, 17th century France, or whether it's John Cusack in a record store, whatever that world is that Stephen Frears is facing, I just think he's seeing it totally clear-eyed. He's not clouded by sentimentalism, but he's got a, a heart too. He's empathetic. He's never trying to lay some big philosophical statement on you. I always just think, Stephen Frears is right about that. He's always right to me. Um, I just think he's one of the greatest, one of the greatest directors. So that's my recommendation. The Queen, which is kind of where the crown all started. Uh, It's a great recommendation, Rafer. It really is. So once again, those recommendations are from Rafer, The Queen, and from me, the documentary Diana in Her Own Words. And that, Kristen, brings us to the end of this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Yes, it does. But please don't hesitate to reach out if you need some questionable advice and solid movie recommendations. In addition to our website, you can also email us at raferandkristen at gmail.com. You do not have to use your real name. And you can tweet us at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And gentle reminder, if you haven't already, please tell your friends about the show. It really does help a lot. Tell your royals about the show. Tell your aristocrats about the show. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Cheerio. (laughs) Pip-pip.